0: Georgia's new House Speaker stakes his agenda. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein
1: And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And be sure to rate us and review us while you're there because it really helps us grow the show. Coming up at today's
0: show... Patricia and I just left one of the first sit-down press conferences with the new House Speaker John Burns, and we talked to him about what he expects to see this session, which policies he supports, and which ones are still up in the air. We'll also talk about Governor Brian Kemp's takeaway from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. We had an interview with him as well this week. We're going to answer your questions from the Politically Georgia mailbag, and Patricia and I have our who's up and who's down for the week. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Okay, Patricia, we were just sitting next to each other in the fourth floor of the state capitol as we listened. It was the first real Q&A session about policy, at least, with the new House Speaker, John Burns, who is, of course, a well-known figure at the capitol, but a lot of people don't know his leadership style and and significantly where he stands on some of the state's most pressing policies. And I want to hear your takeaways in a second, but there was a lot of wait and sees. There was a lot of, um, you know, up-in-the-air answers, he's not really taking a firm stance on many policies, but there's a few big takeaways we can come away with. One of them is that he was a no on a full-scale Medicaid expansion, um, at least for now, and I read that into at least for this year. You know, And it's not a shock that he's a no against it, because most state Republican leaders are against a full-scale Medicaid expansion, but it's the first time he's said that on the record. And he's also sounds very, very skeptical of the push to allow Buckhead cityhood, the splitting of Atlanta into two municipalities. He basically said that there needs to be more time for Andre Dickens, the mayor of Atlanta, to carry out his public safety proposals.
1: A few other things he talked about. He said that mental health, which was really the big, big priority for um, Speaker Ralston, he said that mental health would continue to be a front burner issue. And although he made it very clear Republicans are not going to be expanding Medicaid here in Georgia. He did talk about a new configuration for the state house committees that deal with health care. It's extremely in the weeds, but it essentially combines policy and funding together so that you are developing policies that have funding that uh, could be anticipated to go with it. And it just sort of brings all of those conversations under one tent. And so taking the time to make that change, I think also is a signal that healthcare will continue to be a big priority for the speaker and for uh, really just about everybody in the Capitol. Because one way or another, I think there's a, a very strong understanding that there are too many Georgians who are having a really hard time affording health care, um, no matter how it's packaged.
0: Yeah. And a few other you know, more specific stances he took, asked him about abortion, given the 2019 law that he did support along with many other Republicans, which bans most abortions in Georgia as early as six weeks. Um, he said he's not interested in taking new steps to limit abortion, at least until after the state Supreme Court rules on that 2019 ban. It's still up in the air right now, and lawmakers could go back and revisit that and adopt the new version now that Roe v. Wade has been struck down. But he's not interested. He wants to wait until the Supreme Court makes his decision, and he'll, he said he'll take a wait-and-see approach there. He also didn't specify... Any new push to expand gun rights, but he did say that social issues will be on the top of Georgia lawmakers' minds because he's a Republican, he's a conservative. He also knows what helps energize the GOP base. But in other stances, you know, when it came to uh, doing away with runoffs, he didn't take a stance. He said he's going to defer to his committee chairs. When it came to sports betting, Patricia, he also said he wouldn't take a stance. He's going to defer to some of his committee chairs and other Republican state leaders. And he talked an awful lot about consensus, about sitting around a table, about developing agreement, bipartisan agreement in some cases, with some of these big ticket issues.
1: Yeah, he was even asked at the end of the press conference, um, well, we understand where you stand on all of these issues, including wait and see, really was the answer for most of them. Um, What are some issues that you're going to be bringing to the table? Because the speaker does have an outsized voice in the chamber. And he said, you know, I'm really going to sit around the table with my members and essentially kind of let them do the talking, see what they are bringing to the table, see what they think is a priority. I think it really reflects the fact that he is brand new in this spot. And it was a really different kind of presentation than we've seen from Speaker Ralston in the past, who came in and had just, you just knew where he stood on a number of issues. And then he he also would strategically sort of Drop a hint or two about something he knew he was going to be bringing forward. So, at this point in previous sessions, there really did seem to be a pretty clear roadmap about where the speaker's office would be going with things in many cases. However, you just I we just have to remember that you know, David Ralston very unfortunately and unexpectedly died in November. It was a scramble by the House to elect a speaker. He has only been installed for less than two weeks. And so Burns is really just getting his feet underneath him. I think he's sort of feeling out where his issues are going to belong inside the House caucus? Um, How can he bring these members along and really start to cement his own role leading not just the caucus, but the chamber? And then how does that relate to the state Senate? How does that relate to the governor? Um, He was very complimentary of Governor Kemp and said, you know, we have a great leader in Brian Kemp. There is no There is no tension right there right now between John Burns and Ryan Kemp. And that's relevant. That is not always the case. So he's extremely um, complimentary of Kemp. And, uh, you know, a little bit of good natured ribbing about the state Senate saying, hey, listen, I do like to joke about when they make it to work. We've been there for hours by then. You know, Um, you know, I, I think we can. I would expect there at some point to be some some tension between the state Senate and the state House, because it seems to always happen that way. But he also pointed just to the simple fact of having a schedule hammered out between these two chambers, which happened on the very first day, and nobody anywhere in the Capitol could remember the day that the House and Senate had agreed to just a simple 40-day schedule, which they have done. And, you know, I think that is just a a small piece of progress. Um, It may be the only piece of agreement that they have in full, um, or it may just, you know, maybe kind of the way these two chambers interact with each other. But I would say Burns today was really taking a little bit of a wait and see attitude toward uh, where his membership is going to be a lot of these are brand new members um, see what they're bringing to the table and then sort of see what his role is in either uh, pushing those to the side keeping them out and off of the floor or bringing them forward I will say he is an extremely friendly person he walks in he says hey y'all and he sort of took the time to walk around and introduce himself Individually to each reporter one by one. That's not something that we typically see people do when they come into press conferences. So, um, you know, I think that certainly uh, set the tone. He didn't answer by any stretch the, all of the questions that people were asking, but it was very cordial, very respectful, and probably about, you know, I think the kind of tone we'll be expecting from Burns from now on.
0: Yeah, it's, it's important to note to that point, Patricia, that, you know, he's a well-known figure at the state capitol. He's not some newcomer even to a leadership position, but he took a back seat, you know, obviously just, just to the late Speaker David Ralston and wasn't front and center on a lot of these issues. So even to longtime capital, capitol, you know, observers like you and I, I don't know him that well, right? And so I was one of literally the seven AJC reporters that came to this event. It was great showing from our colleagues, our staff. It it was really important that so many AJC reporters came. And that being tongue-in-cheek, it was great um, because we have so many different reporters working on different issues. And they were able to ask him specific questions about education funding or healthcare policy or you name it. But I was just also just personally curious to see how he'd handle the firing line of questions. And he had a, looked like he had a little binder up there and occasionally he would refer to the binder. Occasionally he'd take a big breath and compose himself and answer because this is a new position for him too as you mentioned this is not something he went into last year you know the, the beginning of last year expecting to be in this role it's very you know it's because of a tragedy It was because of speaker david ralston's unfortunate death and so now he's in this position now and he's he you know he wasn't front and center it was jan jones but it was much more before the cameras you know, If there was another House Republican leader who was up there taking questions, it was more often than not, if it wasn't Speaker Ralston, it was Jan Jones. It was some up-and-coming younger stars sometimes. It wasn't necessarily John Burns, and now it is going to be him. It has to be him, right? And so this was unique. I, I, I wanted to get the reaction of one of his closest allies, so I texted, "What you know, what'd you think? I got this back. John is a very deliberative and a consensus builder. So you'll likely notice throughout the session a less top-down approach on policy. He doesn't take the sort of battle mode approach that our late speaker did. And that's not a knock on Speaker Ralston, but he had been in office for more than a decade and he was very comfortable with the reins of power. And every so often he would he would go hunker down into battle mode. And, and we certainly covered a lot of those stories. The, the most One of the more recent ones I remember was school vouchers when a group uh, that was promoting school vouchers sent out flyers criticizing some Republican incumbents. Speaker Ralston did not take lightly to that, did not take kindly to that, and said in no uncertain terms, that bill ain't going anywhere this year. And that was just a few months ago. I don't think we'll see that from Speaker Burns, that sort of approach, but we might in a few years as he gets comfortable with this. Right now, though, as he mentioned, Patricia, it is a honeymoon phase. One other policy note I want to mention before break is he was also asked about affordable housing and about He actually brought up the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Dangerous Dwelling Project, which, among other things, revealed that the state has some of the least protections uh, protecting tenants from dangerous situations and unsavory landlords. And I asked him if he was willing to take on legislation that would address that problem. And he sounded, he didn't say yes, but he sounded very receptive to that idea. So he's not closing the door on that. So I thought that was interesting. And clearly, you know, this project has embedded itself in the minds of lawmakers and leaders. They've all read it. And he even thanked the AJC, our colleagues, uh, Johnny Edwards, Willow B. Mariano, Alan Judd, and the others who have worked on the project. He thanked the AJC for that reporting. And now it's up to lawmakers and the public to see it through in a sense right to see if uh there's action taken on it this year next year because the work has been done and lawmakers acknowledge that there's a crisis there they also acknowledge that there's a dearth of affordable housing and so how they balance those two is going to be a very interesting issue this session
1: absolutely and The AJC editors took the really unusual step of putting an editorial on the front page the first day that the legislature met last Monday to say you really certainly must act on this. And the AJC is delivered to the leadership offices all around the Capitol and say that was the story, that was the message to lawmakers as they walked past their AJCs that morning. Um, I will also say for Burns, you know, he's the only leader in the Capitol between him and Kemp and Burt Jones, the lieutenant governor, who has not spent the last two years running for this position, who has not spent the last two years thinking about, here's what I would do as speaker. Here's how I would lead this caucus. He's not been sounding out his colleagues for two years about, what would you like to see? What can I do for you? Um, So he's got all of that catch-up work to do. However, he was also the first out of the gate with a press conference this session. We've not heard from Burt Jones. Um, Governor Kemp has had his inauguration but no press conferences at all so Burns kind of the least uh, expectant to be in this leadership position yet the first to meet with reporters which I think also sort of speaks to the fact that he does have a lot of experience has a lot of um, you know at least has enough confidence in himself to go before that firing line as you said and I think it'll be sort of it'll continue to be a give and take um, relationship between the press and Burns which is really a good place to be going into session.
0: And we're going to talk a little bit more about Governor Kemp when we come back from a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC.
3: Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case.
1: I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half
0: years.
3: Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast podcast.
2: That's all one word, ajc.com slash indictment newsletter.
0: And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Your host, Greg Bluestein, with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're not only the host of this program, but we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join our community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Okay, Patricia, we also had the chance to speak with Governor Brian Kemp from Switzerland, from Davos, Switzerland, where he was among the hundreds of movers and shakers, literally, you know, five or 600 billionaires and corporate chieftains were there, 55 heads of state, all sorts of other, I call them global glitterati in one of my stories. My editor, who doesn't like hyperbole, was like, hey, this is actually, this is actually fitting. It really is the one of the <laughs> only times you could actually.
1: You use a lot of words like swanky and ritzy. <laughs> yeah, but in this case, it actually. <laughs> global gl- glitterati is good, though. That's yeah,
0: good. It, it works. And one of the things the other told me, and it's a comparison that only politically Georgia listeners would really appreciate, but he says it's a lot like day thirty nine or day forty of the legislative session because it, he says it's not like I'm sitting there rubbing, you know, rubbing elbows with all these elite folks all the time. I mean, he says it's basically just a chaotic crowd all the time. and it's not it, it, although it is exclusive, he made it sound out to be not quite as exclusive as we might envision. Um, here's what else he said
2: lunch yesterday with SK. Uh, I just sat down with Al Kelly from Visa. Um, saw the Microsoft
3: folks just briefly last night. Uh, I talked to Jose Munoz on
2: the phone. He's here with, with Hyundai last night. You know, we've seen Coca-Cola folks. I was uh, saw Chuck Robbins who showed me his Georgia driver's license.
0: So basically he said he's met with a lot of folks with Georgia ties or with investments in Georgia or who might have investments in Georgia. And Patricia, one of the ways it was framed to us was, um, this is a multiple economic development trips all rolled into one because all these folks, you know, from South Korea, Japan, Europe, you name it, in the US are all there under, in, not under one roof necessarily, but in one little tiny exclusive resort. But the governor's also facing some backlash. There's many in the GOP and many conservatives who view Davos as the symbol of the wealthy elite, of the symbol of excess. And even earlier this week, the Florida lieutenant governor made a took a shot at those attending Davos.
1: What Governor DeSantis said and what he's proven with his leadership is that we're going to fight for Floridians. We're going to fight for people's freedoms to decide what they want to drive, how they want to drive it, what they want to eat, how they want to cook it. Um, and so his reference to the gas stoves, I think that's something that while most people, their minds are blown when they hear those types of policies come from D.C., but that originates from that globalist view and what they lecture us over in Davos and what I call the woke elite forum, not the world's economic
0: form. But Patricia, that's some of the backlash. This wasn't aimed specifically at at the governor, but certainly uh, epitomizes a lot of the pushback we've seen among some conservatives who say, why is he out there? What's he doing?
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting split in the Republican Party because the backlash one would expect to come from Democrats, hey, why are you in Switzerland during session? That would be your typical backlash. This is from conservatives. And I don't, you know, conservatives is not quite the right word. It's just the far right who are calling Brian Kemp a globalist for going to Switzerland and then for also courting international investments into Georgia. I mean, you know, the the twist on Kemp's version of that is that the investments are coming to the United States and to Georgia. Not It's not the United States sending investments overseas. And so that's kind of the difference. <laughs> that's sort of... Typically, when conservatives are complaining about globalism, it is because the United States is outsourcing jobs, outsourcing money and investment to other countries. This is the opposite of that. But that doesn't seem to factor into um, the far right criticism of Kemp. Um, But also, where did that criticism come from? Florida. Who works in Florida? Governor Ron DeSantis, (laughs) who's definitely running for president? Ron DeSantis. Doesn't this kind of make you feel like there is a this budding, um, not quite rivalry, but I, I just think it is so fascinating that the lieutenant governor of Florida would bother to criticize Brian Kemp. It makes no sense unless they are starting to see Kemp as a national figure in the same way that they see DeSantis. So the twist on that particular piece of criticism, I just thought was fascinating and actually elevated Kemp in a lot of ways that I had not quite expected. Um, Kemp, while he's there, um, he's actually going to be stopping in Germany on his way back to Atlanta. He'll be doing some more visits. Those will be with Georgia companies, though who have operations in Germany, and he'll be looking for new investments for Georgia over there as well. Um, he called it a one-stop shop. It's the first time ever ever heard anyone sort of describe Davos as kind of like Target, you know, like <laughs> Target for bu- building business. Um, but it really is that you, it would take a regular person months of travel and years of planning to line up meetings with heads of corporations of this size to sort of cross paths with heads of state. Um, it just doesn't happen in almost any circumstance. You really would have to go to the coronation mm-hmm. of King Charles to get <laughs> this many big wigs in one place. And so it makes perfect sense to go over there. There's a strategic reason behind it. Um, the fact that he's getting criticized from conservatives in a way says that he, what he's doing is getting potential rivals attention. And that's really interesting in itself as well. Um, And then those companies he's courting are making billions and billions of dollars of investment here in the state. And so that's like, that's the kind of criticism, somebody who is not up for reelection can 100% weather, you know, fine, this is sort of like the Twitter uh, chatterbox. But in real life, I'm about to um, cut the ribbon on 8,000 jobs. So You know, so sue me.
0: AJC editor Kevin Riley, if you're listening, that was producer just making a pitch to go to King Charles' coronation in
1: a few months. (laughs) 100. Thank you for reading between the lines. There's always
0: a Georgia political connection. One more thing before we shift gears. um, The governor said he, I asked him about the different corporate CEOs that he talked with there and what their mood about the the looming economic clouds that are gathering is. And he said, uh, there's a lot of caution out there, but there's a lot of focus on certainty. You know, what states, what political leaders can help bring certainty as they make really important decisions that will involve, as we've seen, billions and billions of dollars. Here's what else the governor said.
1: Look, I think we need to
3: continue to be fiscally conservative and cautious and not grow government just because we have a lot of reserve
1: money. But I do think it's a great opportunity for us to help our citizens fight through whatever's coming in, in 23. So he's
0: going to take a cautious outlook Uh, As we've seen in the state budget of the $6.6 billion surplus, about $3 billion is allotted right now. We don't know what's going to happen to the other billions or so (laughs) dollars, Uh, but you heard it from him. He's likely to keep some more in reserve as a potential, I don't want to say the R word, but as some dour economic straits uh, might be approaching. Okay, now it is time for the listener mailbag. You can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Leave a message, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Jamie B. is standing by.
2: And the phones have been ringing off the hook this week, Greg and Patricia.
0: Yeah, I feel like I missed the cue for the music, but man, do I love hearing that. Um, What do we got first? Nothing happens till the music
2: plays first. That's what I say. Well, since we just talked about Governor Kemp's trip to Davos, Switzerland, let's start with Brandon. He called from Lilburn, and he has a question about overseas companies bringing business here to Georgia. My question is, is uh, that Brian Kemp going over to Switzerland and trying to get other businesses from around the world to come to Georgia, how do you see that affecting policies such as the LGBTQ, access to abortion, and the gun laws that he's enacted? How do you see that playing out where they might have a different stance on it and that might be a tipping point for them to not come to a state like Georgia uh, in the future?
1: So I think that's such a great question, because when the when bills, very conservative bills pass in Georgia, including the six week abortion ban, and including constitutional carry, which lifted the requirement to have a a license to carry a concealed weapon here in the state, we did hear a lot of corporate chatter a little bit people saying what what if this has corporations leaving the state there was talk about um, I believe it was the religious freedom bill Greg Um, there was talk about movie studios closing up shop and leaving Atlanta and leaving Georgia entirely because of that law what has happened however is that those laws have been passed they've gone into effect they're enacted and nobody's leaving the state so I think it would be a, a much bigger risk and Republicans would be treading a lot more carefully if there really had been a mass exodus of corporations. They could not sustain that kind of pressure if those companies or a company like SK said, you know, we were planning on spending or Rivian, you know, I was planning on opening a five billion dollar plant in Georgia instead of Illinois, but I just can't do it anymore because of the abortion law that you guys passed. But that that just hasn't happened. There's been a lot of sort of chatter, but no actual movement or action. Um, but I do think it continues to paint Georgia and Governor Kemp is pushing his brand as sort of a corporate minded, business minded, economy focused governor. And that takes him away from a governor who is looking to push social issues. It takes the entire sort of GOP caucus away from that. If they're looking to support Kemp, this is his agenda. Mm-hmm. It's not passing even more abortion restrictions. So in that way, I think his trip overseas tamps it down a bit, but not for the reasons that we would typically think.
0: Yeah, we'll see if Republican leaders end up laying off cultural issues. But Patricia, you're exactly right. I mean, look, doing the religious liberty debate back in 2016, and that went on for years. But when it actually passed, and it was before Governor Nathan Deal's desk in 2016, there was one threat after another of a boycott of big time companies, either pulling their investments for Georgia or refusing to come here in the first place. That bill was vetoed, Um, You know, I I think there would have been a substantial threat of an economic backlash had that bill not been vetoed by by the then governor. But since then, corporations were fairly muted over other controversial bills that have passed since then, gun laws, abortion restrictions, even to a degree, the election law overhaul that passed in 2021. There was some corporate criticism, but not, you know, not a not a chorus of it. And as you said, there hasn't been any sort of discernible economic impact that we've noticed on the ground here in Georgia. And instead, it's been the opposite. The governor says that he wants Georgia to become the economic mobility capital of the nation. And, you know, in the last year, there's been big projects that have amounted to billions of dollars of in investment and thousands and thousands of new jobs. And so we're seeing that so far, but we we look there is still a concern, of course, especially with the movie industry, you know, threatening to pull up stakes over controversial measures. And I think when the governor back in 2019 made fun of C-list celebrities who were attacking Georgia's laws, I think he regretted that. I, you know, he's never said that, but I don't, I don't. I think if he had to do that again, he wouldn't have kind of taken that direct shot at the movie industry because he understands how important that is to Georgia's economy. As well, So we'll see if these measures have any sort of discernible effect. But so far, uh, we have not seen that tipping point. And many, many Democrats have expected us to see that, you know, that, that this or that. The other hard part about uh, figuring this out is oftentimes when a company picks another state, they don't say it was because Georgia passed this or that law. Right? Uh, if they go to North Carolina or Tennessee or Texas, they don't say, oh, because Georgia. And a lot of these other states have similar laws, too, especially yeah. in the South. I
1: mean, when they go to Alabama, you're like, well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and, and then, of course, the big rule, money talks. And even as much as as Hollywood producers and studio executives might not like uh, some of the laws that Georgia passes, we still have the most lucrative tax credits in the nation, and that matters. Okay, Shaney B., What's the next question? Next is Charles
2: from Atlanta, who wonders about a politician that seems to have disappeared.
3: Hey, Greg and Patricia. Uh, question. You talked about what Stacey Abrams is doing now. What I want to know is, what's Herschel Walker up to? I assume he was not at Governor Kemp's inauguration. Yeah, I assume he was not at the Georgia TCU game, or Greg would have mentioned it. Has he moved back to Texas? What's he up to?
0: Charles, great question. We really don't know what he's up to. We haven't heard from him. I'm looking at his Twitter account right now. The last tweet he sent as of Thursday evening was basically a Go dogs" tweet way way back January 9th, right before the national championship game. I didn't see him at TCU. I I would assume if he was there, he would have been put on the big screen. He was not at Governor Kemp's inauguration. He has not been in any public events. I think he's laying low. And I know that many of his, well, his former staffers have moved on. One, Mallory Blunt, just announced she's getting married. She moved to D.C. She's taken another job. Others have scattered around the nation. And, and of course, many others remain here in Georgia. In fact, the biggest news about Herschel Walker had nothing to do with him, had to do with one of his former campaign staffers who is has filed a civil lawsuit against conservative activist Matt Schlapp, accusing him of sexual assault and harassment after a campaign stop had nothing to do with herschel walker himself just it was a former staffer for herschel walker but yeah patricia he's he's kind of gone silent in a way that we haven't seen look Stacey abrams is still doing talk shows um other democrats who lost are still out and about they're still active on social media i still see them around town at events herschel walker
1: nowhere to be seen no, Herschel Walker has ghosted Georgia. We don't know where he <laughs> is. We have not heard or seen from him. He also has not, you know, as far as we know, not been spotted in Texas. So we we truly don't know. And you know, that was sort of the speculation the day after. Well, it's like, okay, so does he move back to Texas now? What's he going to do? A lot of candidates will go underground, uh, so to speak, after a loss um, because it is just truly devastating and embarrassing. Um, a lot of the staffers on that campaign were just. Frankly, totally shell shocked by the experience. And so this is one campaign in particular where there are not going to be campaign reunions, there's not going to be sort of people toasting. Oh, remember that? Great. Remember the the good old days? You know, um, it was just a, a real low point for a lot of people and and maybe even for Herschel walker i don't know you know but you know in his campaign in his speech when he wrapped up he said you know i i i'm glad i did this i would have done it again it was important to do what i did but as far as where he is now what his plans are just no idea I will just add, if if anybody in the politically Georgia community knows where Herschel Walker is or has had a spotting, let us know. We'd love to hear from you.
0: An all points bulletin. (laughs) Okay. View, do we have a third question? We do. Our third question now comes from a
2: caller that was out making deliveries. And now there are no passenger seats in a UPS truck. So we're all just going to climb in, hang on and take a ride while he asks his question. Hey, how's it going? This is for Politically Georgia. My name is Matt. I'm a UPS driver up here in Cleveland, but I'm from Gainesville. And uh, what are your thought process on, like, who's up, who's down? Do you think Jeff Duncan's down? I mean, considering all the other people who faced all that fire, he resigned to try to do something bigger and better, maybe because he thought he wouldn't get reelected. But, uh, you know, I'm going to, have to tell you my thought. It seems like he's down. But uh, where does he stand in all that? Because he should have easily re-elected, hindsight being 2020 and burt jones being the guy that's uh, more of the trump supporter probably wouldn't have made it so anyway just one of y'all's thought process on that maybe i've already dug in to myself and made it useless but i hope you can hear this over all this loud banging noise as well all right take care enjoy y'all's podcast
1: <laughs> matt that is the best salt. this is this is the best call since we've had from um since uh who was it from new hampshire
0: Oh, New Hampshire. I can't remember. Yeah. It was great.
1: Though. Um, she, oh, she was New uh, Jersey. From, no, it was from New Jersey. Yes. Fran. Fran. Fran from New Jersey. Yes. Um, Matt from the UPS truck. First of all, thank you so much for calling us. I hope you were hands free. Don't don't be calling while you're driving. Um, If your hands are on the wheel. Um, However, Matt, it's like you're reading my mind. I, I sort of asked myself this question quite a bit. I think time will tell if Jeff Duncan is who's up or who's down, because he does have this sort of vision of G. GOP 2.0. But I wrote a column about Brian Kemp and said, you know, in a way, Brian Kemp is GOP 2.0 because Brian Kemp got elected. And Brian Kemp did a lot of the things that Jeff Duncan was talking about in his book um, in terms of uh, sort of being more, uh, more consensus driven, not being beholden to the Trump wing of the GOP. But Kemp got elected and Duncan... Took a step back and decided not to not to run and 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 I think you're exactly right. Nobody saw these results coming. Uh, could he have won in the end? I mean, it's possible. Who knows? So is he who's up or who's down? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna reserve judgment, time will tell. I know Jeff Duncan wanted out of politics. It was a really rough go for him and his family. So they might've just needed a beat to uh, sort of reorganize themselves and step out of the spotlight for a minute. But I think, you know, we're, I think the jury's out on uh, how Jeff Duncan's gonna judge this decision.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. I know it's a cop-out, but, but it, it we'll, we'll see where Jeff Duncan is in a couple of years. Right now, I mean, I bugged him a couple days ago. He's on an extended family vacation. I think he's enjoying some free time. But look, you know, when he decided not to run again, it was seen, he and other Republican incumbents, I'm not talking about Governor Kemp, I'm talking about Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, were looked at as sort of, you know, had no chance at a, at a reelection battle. And, and, and obviously that was wrong because Raffensperger easily fended off a Republican challenger and easily won another term. And who knows, if Jeff Duncan could have could have defeated Burt Jones, had they had a matchup together, we know there's no love lost between those two. and We know that Jeff Duncan didn't even endorse Burt Jones. But remember, at the time where Jeff Duncan decided not to run again, it was still Trump's endorsement was still seen as this paramount, the golden ticket, as Jeff Duncan would say. And I've asked him multiple times on the record if he regretted his decision. Of course, he said no. You know that he was ready to move on. He was ready to to pursue this vision of a GOP 2.0 and I think we'll really know the answer in a couple of years because um, if Jeff Duncan is able to continue to stay in the spotlight if he if his profile nationally rises if he becomes a CNN contributor you name it I don't know what I I, I don't know what his plans are but if he if he finds a way to further that vision outside of public office it could be looked at as a su- success but um, right now there's a big question mark over what legacy if any in, any he has in the state Okay Patricia I think B that was, a, that was a great group of questions. Keep them coming. Do we have any more?
2: That was our last one. And in fact, he was a great way to pivot into who's up and who's down for the week.
0: He, he basically segued us. We love the segment. Who's up? Who's down? We always want to end on a high note. So Patricia, who's your who's down for the week?
1: So, my who's down for the week is GOP Chairman David Schaefer. Um, in reporting out my column on Kelly Loeffler and the immense amount of spending and organizing she's doing around the state for conservatives and to get GOP state Senate candidates elected, I heard a theme. There's a lot of frustration over David Schaefer's leadership of the state GOP. He is on the outs with Governor Brian Kemp, who one re-election for a four-year term. Kemp is here to stay. David Schaefer is going to face a challenge now. And on Tuesday, we're going to find out a little bit more about what the special grand jury has decided. We may see their report, we may not. And that could be a real spotlight moment for David Schaefer as well. So he is my who's down for now.
0: My who's down for the week is the Buckhead Cityhood movement. Because now we know that Speaker John Burns is not a fan he didn't he didn't definitively say he opposed it but he also said he wants time for mayor dickens public safety plan to take effect and that to me is a pretty big no and we also know that lieutenant governor burt jones has also not made it part of his legislative agenda those are two very important pieces of that puzzle and uh frankly look you know governor Kemp hasn't said bad word about it but he also hasn't said a good word about it either and you need you need support for one of those three men, well, ideally all three of them, but at least one of them to push it. And none of those key players are behind this at this moment. Okay, Patricia, who's your who's up?
1: My who's up, I mean, this is a dark horse. You do not see this coming. My who's up is Andrew Clyde of Georgia's oh, ninth horse. Congressional District. <laughs> Um, Andrew Clyde spent at least four days opposing Kevin McCarthy for speaker and perhaps many weeks and months before that. And yet, as a part of the negotiations to give his vote to support Kevin McCarthy for speaker, Clyde was appointed to the House Appropriations Committee. That is a hugely, hugely important post because that committee does real things like spend money, or not spend money, which is uh, more likely what Clyde is going to be talking about doing. But of all of the positions in the House, many of which are ceremonial or largely grandstanding, the Appropriations Committee has real, real power. And the fact that Clyde went up against McCarthy as a sophomore and didn't have any particular power to bring to that conversation other than his single vote. He got a lot out of that and um, he's definitely who's up and you know, we'll be watching carefully to see uh, what he does from that, from that post of extreme power.
0: Yeah, that was a dark horse (laughs) that took me by surprise. Okay. My (laughs) who's up is the advocates of sports betting. There's a major development this week that our colleague Maya T Prabhu covered, which was, Uh, former Georgia Supreme Court Chief Justice Harold Melton issued an opinion saying that he doesn't think, uh, and it's an advisory, you know, it's not a binding opinion, it's just uh, his own opinion, but he says he doesn't think that a constitutional amendment is required in order to pass that, which of course is a big deal because it means you don't need to get two-thirds of support in a referendum to pass, you just need a simple majority and the governor's signature. And other things going in advocates' favor, well, the governor has also indicated he supports sports betting he indicated that on the campaign trail last year lieutenant governor Bert jones is also a supporter of sports betting and when house speaker john burns was asked about it he didn't take a stance but he also didn't shut it down so now you've got three power players in georgia politics all saying they either support it or they're open to the idea it doesn't mean it's going to pass this year it just means that it's gotten another boost forward Okay, that is all the time we have to, for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Political Georgia podcast. You can get a new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.
2: I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
3: And I'm Ned Ravone, mm-hmm. lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important
2: to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL.
3: Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.